Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Well, good morning, good morning, good day, good evening, good wherever and when are, whenever you guys are in space and time. Um, thanks for tuning in. My name is Parker McGoldrick. I'm one of the pastors here at Ankeny Gospel Church, and this is our second episode uh called the study notes. We decided, we as the pastors decided a while ago that, you know, a sermon can't cover everything. Uh, There's a lot in a text um, that just can't be said. And sermons aren't supposed to be commentaries, right? Commentaries are commentaries. Sermons are for exhortation and for the people and all this stuff. So anyway, we decided that if there's ever a uh, really, really prominent or important thing or theme or word in the text that we can't get to in the sermon, We'll uh, add a little short podcast here called the study notes, because as we inevitably, as um, we prepare to preach, there's something that, you know, is like, oh, man, this is so cool. This is so important, but it just can't it can't fit or it doesn't it would distract from the sermon or or whatever. And in a sermon, less is always more. So that's why we have this uh, this podcast. So this is the second one that we've done. It's been a while, but um, I'm excited about it. This uh, text that we're going to be in today, this point that we're going to make today, <clears throat> is from Philippians 1, 27 through 30, and it's mainly just verse 27. I referenced uh, this podcast and I referenced the the topic we're going to be covering today in the sermon from Sunday. So if you haven't listened to that sermon, that might be helpful just to get a little more background on Philippians and specifically this text. But we're going to look at verse 27 and just the first phrase of it. So I'm going to read, I'm just going to read verse 27. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going to read verse 27, and then we're going to uh, look at that first phrase because there's a lot of different translations about it. So verse 27 from the CSB, Christian Standard Bible, says this. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. We're going to focus in on that first phrase, CSB says, just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Listen to these differences. I'm going to read a few other translations. I'm going to point out the differences. ESV says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. NIV says, excuse me, NIV says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. NASB says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So you can see the differences. CSB says, as citizens of heaven, which sounds very different. NASB, conduct yourselves. ESV, let your manner of living. NIV NIV also says, conduct yourselves. So the question then is, why are all of these different? Why is it conduct yourselves, let your manner of life, and as citizens of heaven? That's a great question. The answer is kind of multifaceted, but the answer is because of the Greek word itself. The Greek word behind these three different translations is a unique word. In fact, Paul only uses it one time. And guess where it is? Right here in chapter one, verse 27 of the letter to the Philippians. So Paul only, excuse me, Paul only uses this word one time. Now, 
before we get into this word and the connotations therein, uh, Paul has a lot to say. All of Paul's letters pretty much start with either theology, talking about who God is, orthodoxy, this is what it means to be uh, in Christ, this is who Christ is, or like a personal update, like, hey, I'm here, I'm. this has happened to me, this, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. And then he gets into exhortation or orthopraxy of like, hey, now because of this, you should live this way. This is how you should interact with each other. And interesting, almost all of his, or not almost all of his letters deal with the sake of unity, um, deal with the issue of unity and disunity. But anyway, Paul uses typically two different words when he transitions from like the orthodoxy to the orthopraxy, from the theology to the now what, from the this is who God is, now this is what you should look like. He uses two words that we're both very familiar with. The first word that I think that we're most familiar with is the word of walk, walking. We talk about our Christian walk all the time. Like, how's your Christian walk doing? Or, or at least I did, you know, I use that word a lot more in like elementary school and middle school. Like, what's your what's your walk like? What's your Christian walk like? But we know that word. In Ephesians, Paul uses it after chapters one through three of Ephesians, where he's saying, this is who Christ is. This is the glorious richness of what it means to be in Christ. He then says, chapter four, verse one of Ephesians, he says, uh, uh, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In Romans, <clears throat> in Romans chapter six, and 8, and 13, and 16, Paul uses this idea of walking. He says in chapter 6, here's one example, Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into the death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead uh, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Again, he uses this walking imagery. After he's gone from either an update or just a general truth about who God is, he transitions to the exhortation and uses the word walk. He also uses the word live just like the simple word live and the greek is live so it's not that <clears throat> not that complicated so paul typically uses either the word walk or the word live now here is the first and only time he uses this word citizen type language the 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 lexicon <clears throat> the greek lexicon in case you you know i doubt you thought you were going to be hearing from a Greek lexicon today. Uh, BDAG is its uh, is the name of the lexicon. the The technical definition of this word is the political duties of citizens of a city. So in this one word, it's politueste, politueomai is the the root. In this one word, it has this idea of political duties of a citizen of a city. The political duties of a citizen of a city. Now, it kind of makes sense why the different translations are what they are. NIV and NASB says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. They translate that word as conduct yourselves. I think that's good. I think conducting yourselves, it doesn't imply walking and it doesn't imply living. It implies like, you know, your whole order, like how you interact with, like conduct yourself. When you conduct yourself in a certain way, you know, it affects pretty much everything that you do and everything you interact with. So they, that's their, that's the way they translated it. ESV says, let your manner of life. So like, you know, the way in which you live. Um, so they translate that word as manner of life. And again, that's good. Um, and our NRSV says, you know, yeah, live your life. Actually, they just go with straight up live which is unfortunate because that's not 
there is a word for live and this isn't that. So you have conduct yourselves, you have manner of life, you have this idea of ordering your um, life, both private and public, in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. But it still misses the emphasis of citizenship. I don't know if you, I said the word really fast, politueste, but there's a, there's a root in there. There's a root word and it's the root word polis. The root word polis. Now that word polis is the Greek word for city. And we actually use it still today. Think of uh, metropolis. It's a metropolis, metropolis, or Indianapolis, or Minneapolis. Like we use the word polis in our own language, and it just means city. It comes from the Greek word for city. So that root city is actually in this verb, which again implies this idea of a citizenship of a city. The, the technical defin, uh, dictionary definition is, um, what did I say it was? It's uh, political duties of citizens of a city. So the question then is, what did Paul, like what citizenship was Paul referring to? Because he says it's the political duties of citizens of a city. That's the only time he uses it. And he uses it right here in Philippians 127. Well, it's clearly not the political duties of the citizen of the city of Philippi. Why is it clearly not that? Because everything that follows this uh, imperative, this command, this exhortation has nothing to do with Philippi or Rome. It has everything to do with what it means to be a Christian. Unity, right? Not being frightened by opponents, leading to their salvation, believing in Christ, suffering for Christ, seeing Paul's model, and then imitating Paul's model, which is ultimately Christ's model. So when he says the political duties of a citizen of a city, he doesn't talk about the political duties of a citizen of a city, right? He doesn't talk about, you know, the legal uh, cases or the imperial cult worship or uh, civil duties or taxes or anything like that. What he talks about is a different type of manner, a different uh, type of city, which is why, back to CSB, and which is why I think I like CSBs the best, they translate it as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's a little more um, uh, liberal and it's like they, they're a little more loose as in like that technical phrase of heaven is not in the Greek, but the idea, all scholars agree that the idea is there. Like the idea is that Paul is not referring to political duties of a citizen of a city of Philippi. He is referring to the political duties or just the duties in general of a citizen of somewhere else, namely the citizen of heaven. So that's kind of why the or, uh, the word behind it and why the different translations translate it differently. Uh, oh, also interesting. Later in the letter to the Philippians, uh, Philippians 3.20, I believe. Philippians, yeah. Philippians 3.20, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. So he straight up says, our citizenship is in heaven, which is another reason why the CSB felt uh, fine and I feel completely fine too, saying right here in 127 that it's implying a citizenship of a different world order, of a different culture, of a different society, and it's the citizenship of heaven. Now, why does Paul say it to the Philippians? Why doesn't he use this word in Romans, in Ephesians, in Colossians, in Corinthians? Why does he use it here? Great question. He uses it here, and this kind of harps back to uh, the very first sermon in Philippi. He uses it here because Philippi itself was a very, very political, patriotic, even nationalistic city. Uh, fun fact, 
everybody in in the Rome at the height of the Roman Empire, at the height of the Roman Empire, only thirteen percent, one three, thirteen percent of people who lived in Rome were citizens. That is astronomically low compared to, uh, you know, what we would think of citizenship. Why? The reason is because citizenship was less of where you lived, and it was more like a, a partnership, and it was a it was like a status. It was a very high status thing. Only the only the elite of the elites got citizenship. Compare that, so that's 13% in Rome as a whole. Now, if you zero in on Philippi, that number almost triples. It was between 36 and 40% of people in Philippi were citizens. <clears throat> this is because a lot Philippi was a very, very deeply Roman uh, city, and it was because a lot of like politicians or general uh, army you know generals and military veterans they would move to philippi it would be like a suburb of dc today like you know there's i'm sure there's a suburb in like northern virginia or something where if you've paid your you know dues and you've been in the political world or the military world for some time you're ready to retire you move to x you know city or region this th it would have been philippi for them so the number almost triples to 40 percent almost 40 percent of people in philippi are citizens so what Paul is doing is he is in t he he knows that he's been there. Uh, in fact, he was beaten and imprisoned there, and he knows that. And so he's kind of like deflating the idol of citizenship for these people. He's saying like, guys, look, I know citizenship is a huge thing. If you don't have it, you want it. If you have it, you're flaunting it. Odds are you're flaunting it. And he just straight up says here like, guys, your your political um, um, allegiances and your cultural societal allegiances are not to philippi and they are not to rome rather they are to christ and they are to, worthy of the gospel of their to the good news of christ and that looks like unity not disunity that looks like not being frightened being courageous but also not being uh, rageful and, and wrathful and so the political duties of citizens of a city in this case paul is saying are not to rome they are to they are to christ Again, I mentioned this on Sunday. That doesn't mean that you hate, you know, Paul's not saying death to the emperor. Paul's not saying death to Philippi. What he's saying is that your priorities have to be, have to be uh, uh, right. <clears throat> let me, uh, let me read this one scholar, um, Joseph Hellerman in his commentary on Philippians. He says, we conclude that Paul intentionally employs this politically charged term, subversively in the view of the pride of honors associated with Roman citizenship in the colony in reference to another citizen body, namely the Christian community in Philippi. Paul, and here's a good, here's, oh, I underlined this. Paul intentionally marks out the church in the colony as an alternative society in contrast to the Roman imperial order. Readers are thereby prepared for the politically provocative acclamation of Jesus not Caesar as Lord in chapter two, verse 11. And that's exactly uh, where I want to end us today is that the way to keep and maintain and to get your citizenship was the phrase of the day was Caesar is Lord. And Paul will just double down on that in the Christ hymn where he says, every knee will bow and every tongue confess um, uh, the name that Jesus has then at the name of Jesus. Yeah, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And every tongue proclaim that Jesus Christ is what? Is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So many things are happening there uh, when Paul says Jesus Christ is Lord. One of which is implying Caesar is not. 
So I hope that was helpful. Um, I wanted to keep it short, oh, just under, just a little bit over 15 minutes, nice. Um, hope that was helpful. If you have any questions, you can feel free to uh, reach out to me. Uh, Park, my email is parker at Ankeny Gospel, or you can just find me in person and ask me there. Um, that is it. I don't really know how to end this. So go in peace and be blessed and remember to uh, live as citizens of heaven, worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right. Thanks. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at com, or you can find us on social media at Ankeny Gospel. Thank you.